0: Hi, this is Mary Ann Smith. I'm from the University of Iowa College of Nursing. And today I'm going to be talking with you about transitions in care for older adults. We'd like to start today with a disclosure statement. As the slide says, I really don't have any financial interests or relationships with anyone that I'll be talking about today. However, I think it is fair to say that I do have some some preferences about some of the products that relate to their quality. So if it sounds like I'm maybe spending more time on one set of products, it's because I think that they're a really good, high-quality product that can be very useful in day-to-day practice. So the goals for today are on the slide and what I'd like to just say as an overview is that there's been a lot of discussion in recent years about admissions and discharges and the word transitions really has come forward as a good alternative to admission and discharge. And the landscape of how that all is working and the factors that come into play that either facilitate or impede those processes has really multiplied. So we're gonna talk about the landscape of of transitions in older adult care. Think about some of the common challenges. Think about some of the resources that have emerged over the last few years to help us do a better job in facilitating movement from one level of care to another. And also then talk about some of what I consider to be fairly simple solutions, understanding that this is a really complicated process in most situations. So, starting with objective one, the changing landscape. The thing that I think is so important is that we really stay focused on age-related changes in health function and social support that lead to the need for movement from one level or type of care to another that then constitutes a transition. So it isn't just the health of the individual that is involved when we're thinking about transitions, we're also thinking about their living situation and the setting in which they have been living, and the setting to which they will be returning. And we're also thinking about all of the social services that are so important to supporting older adults in being successful, and being functional, and engaging in self-care activities that are important to their day-to-day quality of life. So older adult care is not static. There may have been a time in history where there was less movement from one setting to another. But given the number and type of living environments and the complexity of health services uh, that are available in today's world, both of those phenomena exist on a continuum. So when we look at the slide and some of the ideas here, the take home message is that there are lots of options ranging from living at home alone to living in a skilled nursing facility in terms of living environments. And then there are all these other options along the way. What that means in terms of transitions in care is that the older adult may be delivered from any one of these settings in a hospitalization and returned to another setting Uh, at the time of their transition or discharge so very important for us to be mindful that it's not static and that there are lots of options we also know that the services that older adults use do change over time people move up and down the continuum based on their needs and so again we have everything as simple as supportive home delivered services, adult day health programs, to more critical services in terms of outpatient health and ambulatory service centers, and right into chronic care hospitals. So again, health service settings are also growing, meaning that people are transitioning from all kinds of different services, uh, depending on what the situation is. The other thing is that there are lots of interactions between services. Rarely does an older adult use one type of assistance. They have a living environment, but then they're supported many times with an array of of social and health services that allow them to be as functional as possible. So when we're thinking about transitions in care, we're thinking about communication with not one but several different individuals. There are layers of care that are provided by different people. And the, then that raises questions about what is the communication of information about what the most recent challenges have been related to their return to their earlier service or living environment. So, the. Take-home messages: transitions are increasingly common in today's world. Uh, changes in status often trigger these transitions. And so people are moving from their home, which may be their home, home, meaning the house that they lived in most of their life, to an assisted living or residential setting, a nursing home, or a hospital. And from the hospital, they could be returning back to their home the assisted living or a nursing home or they could be going to a rehab center or they could be going to live with their family member for a short period of time and then return to their home and certainly nursing home care is not static any longer i mean there were a may have been a time in history where nursing home was a placement but in today's world with the Use of skilled nursing services that have a very much a rehabilitative focus. Lots of older adults transition from their home to the hospital have treatment, say for hip fracture, return to skilled care for a period of time to get their rehab services, and then are discharged and and transferred again, transitioned again, uh, to assisted living. And then it may even be from assisted living back into their home living environment. So lots going on with this movement of people from one setting and service delivery uh, system into another setting with maybe the same or different services. So in those transitions, we know that there are lots of challenges. And and that's the part that's coming into our attention increasingly in today's world. And there are, are lots of complications related to the provision of accurate, adequate, and timely information and that includes at the time that they arrive in the new setting meaning the admission uh, say to the hospital at the time that they move out they transition out of the setting at the time of discharge there are also amazing challenges within systems of care So we can pick on a hospital, for example. So they come into the emergency room, and then they're transitioned up to intensive care. And then from an intensive care unit, they step down to a medical unit. And then from the medical unit, they may go to subacute care. So in that system, they may be transferred several times. So they're transitioning within the system. And the same is true in long-term care communities where they may be in independent living and then they need more service, so they transition to assisted living. And then they may transition into nursing home care. And they may go to the hospital and come back. But in that system of care, they may use several different types of services that have transitions as part of them that can also have similar problems with sharing information, sharing information in a timely uh, manner, and and making sure that the most accurate information about the person's care is being provided. When that doesn't happen, it creates all kinds of problems for the person uh, because they're not getting adequate care, and, and maybe not getting accurate information about what they're supposed to do after they transition from this level of care, and it also creates a lot of problems for those providers. So, for example, an individual is hospitalized, and somehow the primary care provider isn't isn't involved, and and, and this actually isn't uh, uncommon when they're using specialized services. So they're hospitalized, say, for hip fracture, and it's the orthopedic surgeon who's overseeing their care. And the primary care doctor isn't necessarily involved, but at the time of discharge, the person's resuming care with that primary care provider, and he or she may not have any real accurate information about the sequence of of care, the problems that were encountered, the need for additional follow-up services until 10 days after the person leaves the hospital and that discharge summary finally hits their desk when the follow-up appointment was three days earlier. So there are lots of things that go on in those kinds of situations. So when we think about the types of transitions that might occur from home to hospital, hospital uh, back to a nursing home or assisted living, The idea here is that there are lots of challenges. And when we think about those challenges, there are some basic and common themes. Communication, lack of education, inconsistent coordination, lots of problems related to medication reconciliation, and also gaps in service access. Now, in the next few slides, I'm going to really focus primarily on transitions to and from the hospital. But the issues that we're talking about are similar for just about any level of care transition in any level of care. So when we think about hospital to communication, some of the most common communication problems really revolve around the lack of involvement of both the patient and his or her caregiver when they are getting back home or to the desired setting at the time of transfer. One of the biggest challenges has been that we may give instructions to the older person, but we're not talking to the family member who's going to be their support when they go back home. We're not talking as directly as we might with a nursing facility uh, that will be providing the care. So the caregivers need to be included in the care planning at the time decisions are being made for transition. Although we've known this a very long time, it still tends to be one of the biggest challenges that we face. The other thing that comes out as a resounding theme is that language and ethnicity barriers are not well addressed. Uh, There tends to be a fair amount of diversity in the older adult population, and there are practices that are specific to particular ethnic uh, groups related to the way that they communicate. And there are also language problems that if we don't check that out really carefully, we think that we've communicated what the discharge plan is, but the person on the receiving end hasn't really understood. We also aren't really thinking that well about health literacy, meaning what is the level of information that we're providing? And, and there's a good body of literature that says that our, our health-related uh, information needs to be discussed and provided in print, printed format in about a fifth to eighth grade level. So that simplifying and getting the medical jargon out and, and making it understandable to everyday people, everyday language becomes very, very important. And the other piece that I just talked about a minute ago is that the transfer summary, the discharge summary, uh, the traditional words for it in, in healthcare, have been uh, arriving oftentimes too late or in a format that isn't really useful. So, one of the most common problems that I turned up is that we were looking at literature related to uh, transfer related transfers is that the information isn't available to the primary care provider for their follow-up visit in almost 75 percent of the cases. And the other side of it is that in the absence of having that information, it restricts the primary care provider's ability to provide good quality follow-up care in about 25 percent of the cases. So accurate information in a summary format about what happened during the treatment period and being put back in the hands of the individual who's responsible for follow-up is really not occurring in a way that that facilitates a good quality transition and optimal health promotion. The second main consideration that comes out in in a theme about challenges related to transitions is that we don't provide adequate patient and caregiver education. Now this relates to the last point that I was just talking about with the notion of communication, and health literacy, and providing information in, in an understandable format. So there's a lot that goes on in terms of continued use of medical jargon instead of translating the ideas into layman's language that the individual can and their caregiver can understand. There tends to be also a great reliance on verbal teaching as opposed to using printed instruction. And even when printed instruction is used, oftentimes it's long, it's wordy, uh, and there are situations where the automatic printout is highlighted with only a few things that are relevant to the actual individual and their discharge highlighted with lots of additional information provided that isn't. And sorting through that when they get home gets to be very complicated. We also tend to use yes-no questions. So, do you have any additional questions for me now? Does that all make sense to you? Instead of using teach-back, which is allowing the person to talk with us, to tell us back what they're going to actually do when they get home, how are they going to implement the instructions that they've just been given, to double-check that they did, in fact, understand what was being said. We also know that a, another challenge is uh, the limited or inconsistent care coordination that is important to a successful transition from one level of care to another. As I talked about earlier, there are problems within an organization. So in the hospital setting, that would be the transition from the emergency room to the inpatient unit and information seeming to disappear from one area to the other, and then in turn, the nursing home is called and asked, why didn't you send this, or what's the situation on that, when that actually was part of the packet that was sent with the patient. We know there's also lack of timely follow-up at the time that the person is discharged, so getting the individual in to see the the specialty provider for a follow-up appointment isn't always happening in a timely manner. We also make the assumption too often that the primary care provider who's being asked or involved uh, to pick up the care after discharge knows what's going on and and that so often is not the case. And the other piece is that there's this assumption that key care providers are in agreement on the care management plan. This also is not often the case. Too often one person is saying, get them out of the hospital now. And someone else is saying, you know, they really need a few more days on their rehab program so that I can be doubly sure that they understand the regimen when they get back home. And then a decision is made and out the door they go. So there are problems in that arena. And the other side of it is a provider, we make the assumption that someone who actually knows them. Is going to be providing their care and too often that is not the case and in the absence of an accurate history the plan falls apart so the other piece of, of coordination that we can talk about and this is a continuation of, of before is that we don't make enough referrals at the time of discharge um, there's often not good coordination among providers in multiple settings And and there are lots of questions, as outlined on the slides, about who knows what, about complex patients' needs. And and are they really ready to provide self-care activities as has been planned in, in the transfer plan? Another key consideration is medication change that occurs during hospitalization and then discrepancies when the person is returned to their prior level of care or admitted to a nursing home or other setting at the time of discharge. So there's this discrepancy between the changes that were made during the hospital, uh, maybe because they wanted to use short-acting drugs and make sure they get tighter control, maybe because those certain drugs were part of the formulary. Lots of reasons that medications are changed At the same time, we need to reconcile what is the right regimen at the time of discharge for the ongoing plan, and one of the things I'm the most concerned about are use of antipsychotics for a short period of time because the person is delirious and, and really upset and disturbed by say, uh, a delusion that they're having while they're, that's part of their delirium, and then they continue on that medication and when they're discharged, it stays in the plan and then it is continued to use after discharge when they're no longer psychotic. So those are, that's just a simple example of, of one of the concerns that can, can occur. We also know that there are gaps in service uh, access uh, between discharge and first follow-up. So the person is discharged, they go to uh, the home, and they have their first follow-up visit and a week later. But in that seven-day window of time, who are they supposed to call? primary care provider doesn't have the discharge summary yet, or there's no information on the plan about who do I call if I am get into a pickle or something goes wrong. And in that lack of information and in that concern about their health condition being compromised, they go back to the hospital. And there we sit uh, with kinds of problems with readmission rates being so high. So there's a lot that goes on in all of these arenas that translate into costs. Uh, So there are lots of costs uh, associated with rapid readmission, and and that's been a very hot topic, and uh, use of emergency services that could have been avoided, and adverse drug events that are costing us tons of money, and then the time and resources that it takes to establish what the optimal plan of care is, when that could have been done earlier, communicated more effectively, and we could avoid the problems that are listed on the slide. So there are increased healthcare costs, and there are also increased and unnecessary costs to the person and and to society uh, that we are all considering, uh, lots of us are considering to be quite avoidable if we would pay better attention to these transitions. So the costs translate into policy. So here we go down this pike way of, you know, in 2012 there were policy changes really uh, that emerged in the Affordable Care Act related to Medicare, and and that related to notes on the slide. One in five Medicare patients are readmitted within a month. That costs us a lot of money, and the return trips are costing 17 billion. So the Affordable Care Act addressed this as most of us are, are well aware and made it clear that there are going to be some teeth in readmission. We are expecting more value for the dollar in terms of what we're getting in the healthcare delivery at the time of admission during the hospitalization and transfer uh, to another facility and that isn't to say that it all is a problem for the hospital. Because it certainly isn't. We know that rehospitalization is really a challenging issue, and it's not the hospital's fault. There are lots of factors that go into what happens at before they get to the hospital, during the hospitalization, after they leave, that be- makes this a very, very complex issue and the responsibility is really on on all of our shoulders and we all share in the responsibility to think about how can we do a better job. So please, I don't ever want it to sound like I'm picking on the hospitals, I'm saying that if we think about the transitions in and out, it's an easy one to talk about because so much of the Affordable Care Act has focused on hospital readmission and how can we facilitate smoother transitions to avoid this rapid readmission that is costing uh, society and healthcare a lot of money. So we have to wonder, was they did, were they discharged too soon? Was it an inadequate post-hospital treatment? Could we have done a better job in planning? So lots of things for us to consider when we're thinking about that. The other thing that comes up in the policy implication is the Accountable Care Organizations that are being formulated and uh, at least locally our, our Accountable Care Organizations are being formed whereby we'll have partnerships. To try to facilitate better transitions and better overall quality of care and that has lots of implications not just for the hospital side, but for all of our community providers who want to be part of the system that will facilitate better care i'm only showing this slide because this little video clip if you go to this um, website this is active this website here and there is this very educational helpful uh video there about Uh, coordinated care and chronic disease management, and the dual focus on on both improving quality. It isn't just about reducing costs. It is about improving quality for the patient. And I found that very useful. I'm not going to show it here, but I think you might enjoy it. So in our accountable care organizations, there's a lot that's going on related to the triple A, which is deliver high quality of care, really improve our patient outcomes, and at the same time reduce the costs that are associated with that care. And a lot of it is right in that arena of improving communication and coordination across the continuum of care which is where I started uh, in the beginning. So it's really trying to uh, help us find right care, right location, right time, at the right cost. And in brief, that really is the aim. The big question is, which providers have the right stuff to be part of the preferred group that the Accountable Care Organization is creating? And one of the key questions is, what are you sending at the time that the person needs perhaps a higher level of care in the hospitalization and who are you able to take at the time of discharge. So there's a lot that goes into the formula related to smoothing those transitions between levels of care uh, that will come into play as we think about organizing accountable care organizations. Another important policy implication has been the program community-based care transitions. And again, this is another CMS initiative that I just want to mention, uh, because I'm very hopeful that there will be additional information coming out of these pilot projects that started back in 2011, 2012. Notice uh, there's nothing going on here in the state of Iowa, uh, but we've got a lot of activity here on the eastern part of the state and then some out here on the western and southern part of the state. And I'm very hopeful, again, that this will lead to additional information coming our way. So the Partnership for Patients, uh, again, started in 2011 to really think carefully about models to improve care transitions with the aim of reducing hospitalization. And this is just a screenshot of the website. I think there's just a tremendously helpful set of information here that the goals of the partnership really are focused on reducing preventable hospitalization and readmissions. But it's also, the aim is focusing on enhancing quality to reduce admission and to to adjust the cost downward. So again, lots of great information on this website. So the thing that I wanted just to get out of this particular slide is that there's some information here about the program overview that you can read at that website. And then there's also a link to resources down here next to the red arrow. And I'm just going to show you one example of the tools. Now this one comes at, notice, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. So these are not necessarily tools that have been created by CMS, but they've been assembled as part of the partnership website for us to access easily and at no cost so if you've got questions I think this is an amazing uh, resource with lots of good quality materials this one I'm using in particular because it's preventing adverse drug events using medication reconciliation which is just a huge huge issue So that leads us really naturally into objective three. So what I was leaving off there is that the the cost of uh, the transitions, issues, the challenges has been translated into policy, policy, part of which is being run by CMS and then also has generated a lot of additional online resources partially with CMS funding but partially with other sources of funding so there's a lot of great stuff out there on the website today about improving communication and all of the challenges again that we talked about earlier here that can be addressed by uh, visiting some of these websites and again I'm not trying to be comprehensive. I don't really have any strong biases towards one or the other. Uh, There is no one right solution. Everybody needs to look at the materials and think carefully about their organization, the kind of transitions they typically encounter. The materials that are most useful, beneficial to them and their organization in trying to improve this notion of communication and coordination and information sharing and optimal information exchange in a timely fashion that is accurate. Uh, So there's a lot that goes on and only you can decide which materials work for you. I'm a little biased uh, towards one set that I'm going to spend a little more time talking about, but I also think that there are just an enormous array of really good quality things, some federal, some private, and the Interact, I just want to go ahead and say the Interact tool is the one that I think is just superb, and I am going to spend a little more time talking about. So, we can start, um, and this is back to the IHI uh, organization that was the one about medication reconciliation uh, that was linked to the Partners in Care uh, website but they have an amazing set of resources both in terms of webinars and supportive materials that you can locate at the website uh, noted at the bottom of the slide. There's another one called Next Steps in Care uh, that provides free guides and checklists that are both oriented to family care which I think is tremendously important, as well as to providers that's endorsed by AARP, so a very good quality uh, set of materials. Then the AHRQ provides another set of materials, care transitions from hospital to home. And again, this is a packet. There are lots of additional links once you get to their site. You you can visit the site down here and there's an overview and then there are links to tools and but the idea is lots of excellent free resources. And here yet is another one that is recommended by AHRQ uh, care Transitions program. Now this is proprietary and you do have to pay for it But the little bit that I reviewed appears that it is really good quality care uh, And and supporting materials as well The program I want to spend the most time talking about is called Interact which are interventions to reduce acute care transitions I'm actually very pleased to Uh, say that it was a local nursing home administrator who brought this tool to my attention. Uh, I'm a member of the Johnson County Quality Long-Term Care Planning Committee and we were talking about transitions and the administrator had been to an accountable care organization meeting and had been advised that the interact tools are very helpful and then this became a focus of discussion in our work group so I'm very pleased to be able to share it with you all today because we think these materials are really top-notch and are very useful to try to think about how do we standardize the information that goes back and forth and improve quality first in order to Improve the transitions that occur at the time of need in when someone has an acute change in condition. So, as the slide says here, and 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 there's just I wanted to do a little acknowledgement here is that the original funding for the development of the materials was funded by please note NIH, which is National Institute of Health CMS. Commonwealth Fund, Retirement Research Foundation, Tra- Patient Centered Outcome Research Institute, PCORI, Medline Industries and WestCon.inc. And there's a wonderful article that was published in the journal for the American Medical Directors Association back in 2014. That is a superb article if you can access and read it. It does a really fabulous job of explaining how Interact was developed, by whom, for what purpose, how it can be used, what are the optimal uses, those kinds of things. And notice it's a very short article, 162 to 170, so I think it's only about seven pages in length. But the notion here is that There is a focus on reducing acute care transfer and improving it. But the bigger issue is on improving quality of care out in the community. And and they started in nursing homes, but then it extended into assisted living. And these same, same principles of care can be applied in lots of different settings. So the Interact tool starts with this notion of Who's responsible and how do we think about the flow of information and how everyone is really involved in trying to have optimal outcomes for the older adult in a long-term care setting. So the focus is really on communication, quality communication, uh, and and it is not just for nursing homes. It's nursing homes and assisted living, and as I said before, Just about any care setting could could adapt uh, the principles of care being used by Interact. So this is a screenshot uh, from the Interact website that talks about the tools that are available here. And as you can see here with the red arrow, I'm gonna show you a few of these things. This was the evaluation of care that we just looked at. In a few minutes, we're gonna look at the Stop and Watch tool. The thing that I wanna emphasize is that there's overview of the Interact Quality Improvement Program, and then we can also talk about these tracking information within the hospital and between the hospital and the nursing home. So there are different sections related to the quality improvement tools. here we go. These are all of the tools. This is an example of how they look and what they are and 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 you can read about them and then think about the communication within the nursing home and then also the communication between the nursing home. And, and the hospital. So, lots of variability in terms of, of what is available. This is a tool I just really like and wanted to show you and it's the communication within the nursing home uh, that I think is really important. It's a kind of thinking carefully about what we're seeing so that we can work preventatively to avert unnecessary hospitalization. So lots of good stuff in terms of how do we think about keeping the person in the nursing home, which also translates keeping the person in the assisted living, keeping the person at home with home health care in the first place, to reduce the risk that they go to the hospital at all, not even the first hospitalization, let alone the the rapid re-hospitalization. The other thing that I so like about this set of tools is that it builds on one of our very common, common acronyms, which is Situation, Background, Assessment, and Recommendation. So they're using SBAR uh, in the way that they're thinking about their assessment tools. And then, again, this is a continuation of communication tools between the nursing home and the hospital So, in that, those are the uh, interact tools that I, I highly recommend, I think can be very, very helpful to everyone to try to think about how we can change what we do if we're not hospital providers to better facilitate quality of care when the person does need to be in the hospital, how can we standardize the information we send with them, follow up with the hospital, Uh, and then also make sure that we've understood what the hospital is sending when they return the person to our care. So the simple changes objective is really, as you all know, there's nothing simple about it. However, there are a few simple changes that we can make, I think, that will really facilitate better outcomes that reemerge in the literature about how can we overcome some of the challenges that we face. So, one of the things is to telephone communication, and it is the simple telephone call between the acute care provider and the community provider, and let's just say that's hospital and nursing home for right now, at the time of transfer. And it's There's demonstrated evidence, this huge article, um, I'm Created more information than you probably want to know. But the idea is that they created care managers in a team at the VA who followed the patient. These are nurses who followed the patient and then communicated with the patient directly after their discharge back home. And in so doing, reduced their rehospitalization rate by 30%. Now, that's an amazing low cost approach to reducing rehospitalization, We know that those that same mechanism is being used in lots of different ways. It isn't just the nurse care manager on the team, and that isn't the nurse leader. This is a care manager, RN, who provides daily care. So it's a, a care coordination role for the nurse on the unit, calling directly, calling report directly to the nursing home or to the home health agency, and that isn't to diminish the importance of what our social workers do. It's that nurse-to-nurse communication sometimes gets some of those thorny medical questions sorted out right from the beginning. Uh, So there's a lot that goes on in telephone communication that can be very, very helpful. And that can also mean that the nursing home calls the hospital after they've sent somebody to make sure that when they end up on the unit, that the information that was sent arrived with the person and didn't get lost in the ER. And if so, how can that be clarified very quickly and so the person gets the best care possible? So the other piece of it, uh, and this is an idea that came out of the Johnson County Quality Group, is that identifying a key contact on the receiving end, meaning when report is called from the hospital to the nursing home or to the assisted living, that any old provider who picks up the phone doesn't take that call. The charge nurse who happens to be there on the evening shift may not actually know the patient very well and instead should defer, perhaps, to the identified person on the team, and that could be the director of nursing, that might be the MDS coordinator, it might actually be that charge nurse. But the idea here is that if we have a designated person who is expecting to take that information, they're going to come at it with a different set of questions than just somebody who's caught on the fly in between their other tasks and trying to do the best they can when when they've got competing demands going on in the background. So, there are lots that we think that can be achieved by direct transfer, avoiding misunderstanding, Um, and the other side of that is that having a key hospital contact. You don't just call the unit, talk to any nurse, you talk to a designated person who is responsible for the care transition planning that is in a better position to answer the questions and help with the planning. So having key identifying people on both sides of the formula to really facilitate the communication can be very, very helpful. So what we've seen in terms of reports in the literature is that, you know, this stuff works. We've got better satisfaction, better medication outcomes, reduced risk of of adverse drug reactions, and and also then on the side of reducing readmission. The other thing that has shown up as being very, very helpful, and, and I think we're doing a better job of it, but there's still more room for improvement, and that is thoughtful use of printed information, easy to read, you know, understandable, a number to call, checking for understanding, using teach-back, all of these things have have been found to be very useful and very helpful and not that hard to implement. I mean, when you're thinking about planning your discharge materials, it's just as easy to put it in a big font in understandable language uh, for that older adult who maybe has some visual impairment Uh, as it is uh, to just make uh, another type of copy. So in today's world with what we've got with um, options for printing materials, there are lots of good things that can happen in this arena too. We also know that adoption of standardized transfer forms, the literature instructs us that there's reduced risk of problems because when you look at a standardized form, That just about everybody is using, your eyes fall to certain areas on the form for certain kinds of information instead of having to leaf through something that is different for every single provider uh, to find that piece of information. So use of standardized transfer forms is, is, is increasingly popular because it helps us reduce the risk that we'll overlook something that is in fact there. Uh, and and so this is a really important piece of information and the other one that I think is is so important is that in this reconciliation of medication there is a huge body of evidence that suggests that an involvement of the nurse leader whether that's home health care or in the nursing home uh, on the receiving end and the involvement of clinical pharmacists and that's in the hospital and on the receiving end is really helpful in reducing medication errors so it's that that you know trying to make sure that we've got the right medication at the right dose uh, when the person returns that additional assistance of nurse leaders and clinical pharmacists along with the primary care provider, whether that's a physician, a physician assistant, or a nurse practitioner, the idea is collaboration uh, in medication management becomes very important. And then the final point is that we know that increasingly with with, uh, standardized medical records and uh, use of the electronic medical record, rapid transfer of information, getting the summary written in an expedient form sent with the person arrives at the primary care provider's location within a day or two of discharge is going to be very, very helpful in in that exchange of information that will promote quality of care. The other thing that I can't say enough about is that all of the literature talks about quality improvement always relying on leadership it really really relies on someone in the organization saying, this is important, and I'm going to build a team to make sure that we have better communication, and if we don't have better communication, I'm going to try to figure out why that is and we're going to solve those problems. So it's identifying change champions who are are going to oversee what goes on in the organization and, and identify those who are going to really focus their efforts on better patient education, and that's at the time of discharge, before they leave the hospital, it's also on the receiving end, where the nursing personnel or and or the family member can help the older adult say, okay, now, mom or dad or Harvey or, or Mr. Jones, these are the things that are really important for you to be doing now that you're back with us so that you have the best possible chance of getting full function back after your hip fracture. So, reiterating and and repeating and understandable language and also printed materials isn't just a hospital discharge issue, it really translates into the long-term care environment where we're supporting whatever teaching was provided in the acute care setting. We also need facility and corporate buy-in to make sure that the implementation goes smoothly and staff that are involved Understand the value of what we're trying to achieve and really buy into it. So it's always a question of what, so what are the barriers to doing a better job? You know, what are the things that we need to break down? What are the dinosaurs of how we used to do it that don't work for us anymore, that we need to dissolve and try something different? And and again, I can't say enough about rapid cycle improvements, small steps of change, not trying to do everything at once, but starting with something as simple as a telephone call, and then thinking about what would be the next step. What is one additional thing that we could do with say diabetes education, or one additional teaching point with the people who are coming back with hip fractures and need rehabilitation and and support to understand why it's important that they get our assistance for now. So lots of things that are out there one step at a time, small, rapid cycle change, let's see if it works, if it doesn't work, how can we tweak it to make it work? Start with a telephone call, maybe add some additional patient education, focus on that provider to provider and multiple provider communication, Uh, and and really think about who needs to be in the loop and, and how can we avert problems by keeping people in the information loop. So there's a lot that goes on with recent policy changes that are going to mandate what we do, but ultimately how it flows and how it works and whether it is successful is going to depend on the leadership in the organization. So in my estimation, uh, we really are in the midst of a care revolution and that there's a lot that's going on with transition-related processes that we all need to be thinking about. So my question for you is, how can you and your care team improve the transition from your setting to and from other places where care will be provided? What can you do differently that might make a difference? And and then the secondary question is, how can we reduce the need for transfers altogether by providing better quality assessment early identification of problems and rapid intervention to try to reduce the risk that they need to be transferred at all. Because for most older adults, that is a very stressful uh, experience that they would like to avoid if they possibly could. So lots going on, no one right way, ongoing process. Uh, with lots of resources available to us out there online and in the printed format to help us help guide our thinking about what we could do differently. So that's my message for this afternoon. Thank you very much for your time and interest. And I certainly do wish everyone well in thinking about how to be a better partner in the transfer of an older adult from mm-hmm. one setting or level of care to another and all of the complexities that go along with that.